So who in here has ever been excited about something that you just had to tell someone? You ever been really excited, couldn't find anyone? You know, maybe, guys, you're out fishing by yourself. You actually do catch that big fish. It's not just the story of the one that got away, but you actually catch it, but you have no camera, you have nothing, and you're like, nobody's going to believe me. This just happened, and nobody's going to believe it. Yeah, there's something inherent that God made within us, and it's, it's because we're created to worship, and part of worship is proclaiming the greatness of that which we worship and, and love, and we are wired, we are hardwired to want to share that in community. We want other people to be happy with us, right? I mean, we, we just do. It kind of kills it if we're excited about something and nobody else around us is excited about it, right? We have to make a conscious choice of like, you know what, I'm going to be excited whether you are or not. But we know that it just feels so much more satisfying when people join and celebrate with us. It's just something God has done. And it's something that is not going to go away, but should be doubly true for being a servant witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, when we get to the very end of everything and and judgment has happened, what is the one thing that is going to matter more than anything else? What Jesus did on that cross for us. That he is Lord, that he is risen, that he is seated at the right hand of God. Because when we go to face judgment, we're going to be like, I know him. And he knows me. And nothing else matters now. And so, with that being the single most important thing in all of creation is what we're headed towards now in judgment. Wouldn't it make sense that we would be excited now about telling people about what Jesus has done for us? And I mean, not just, not just a responsibility, which yes, we have a responsibility to make disciples. We're going to get into that in the next section of our discipleship process. But at the end of the day, there really should be something about And if we are forgiven and we've experienced grace and we have this ongoing relationship with the living God who created the heavens and the earth by speaking them into existence and he knows my name and he he sent his spirit to live within me, shouldn't we be at least a little excited of like, this is cool. I want to share it with the people around me. I want to, and not... Not out of a sense of responsibility, but out of a sense of excitement. We should be excited for God. Now, I understand there are different types of excitement. You know, excitement wanes in, in, in momentary things. Uh, you know, when the Chiefs won the Super Bowl, we were very excited. The last two years, you know, a little less excited. But, you know, stuff kind of comes and goes in that. I mean, I, I get it, but... When we have this ongoing relationship, though, and we know where life is headed, that it's headed towards heaven, that it's headed towards an eternity with God, and that, that death will have no hold over anybody, that should be something that should motivate us and kind of keep us going in life and excited to tell people about God, excited to share the gospel, excited to be a witness 
for who he is. And, and so last week we talked about serve one another, that it's really God wants us to serve. This week we're going to talk about how we actually share Jesus and, and bring people into that kind of fold uh, in spiritual conversation. Because we are called to be servant witnesses. And the two go together. You know, the, the old saying, I know many of you have heard it, but it really is true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, we show them we care by serving. And we show them why we serve by witnessing. And witnessing means that we actually tell them about Jesus at some point. That we're able and willing to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying you have to have every answer to every possible spiritual question and, and you know, become this apologist and, and polemicist and, uh, you know, apologetics and be able to argue on stage with people. That's not what I'm talking about. But if Jesus is important to you, eventually it will come up in a conversation somewhere with people and we should have an answer, right? We should be able to share it. And we should be able to do it without, like, tripping so much over ourselves that people are like, are you okay? You need some water, <laughs> you know? And so this week, we're going to look at Acts chapter 4. And it's a little bit longer, but it's kind of a story that we're looking at because the church has just been born. The Holy Spirit has come. The day of Pentecost has happened, and 3,000 people were saved when Peter stood up and preached the first sermon uh, in the church's history. And then we're just days later, okay? Peter's walking along, Peter and John, and a beggar, a man who was 40 years old and had been lame from birth, he hadn't been able to walk, his feet and his ankles were born deformed and not strong enough to carry him. He was there begging at the temple, which he had done pretty much every day of his life for 40 years that, that you know, he could. And he's, he's there to beg, to get money, to, to be able to live. And Peter sees him. And God moves in Peter's spirit. And he tells the man, look at me. The man looks, it says he's expecting to get something, and he says, silver and gold, <clears throat> I don't have, but what I do have, I will give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, arise and walk. And it says he grabs him by the hand, lifts him up, his feet are healed, and the guy's walking. Now, do you, was he excited, yes or no? You know what the Bible says? It tells us he goes into the temple with John and James, and he's like, yeah! I mean, he is like screaming, and it says he's leaping, which, think about it, he's never walked in his life, and you know he's like, this is awesome. He's like, look, I can run over here. I can run here. I can move. And, and you know, other people start coming in. They're like, isn't that the guy that I've seen begging my entire life? Why is he walking? What happened? So it's clear that a miracle has happened. So just like the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has caused a stir. Okay, the, the Holy Spirit has caused a stir. And so Peter again stands up and starts talking. And he tells him, hey, if you're wondering how he's healed, it's by Jesus. This is Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. And so he starts telling him the story. And so as he's speaking, this is where we pick up now in Acts chapter 4. Okay, Peter is speaking to the people in the temple. In Acts chapter 4, it says, starting in verse 1, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. 
these are the men in suits, okay? These are the guys that, like, you have gotten the big dog's attention. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. Now, where have we heard Caiaphas recently? He's the high priest who crucified Jesus. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, They had nothing to say in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, what shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Now, this is an incredible moment. Peter and John, you know, they they just don't back down. Now, I want you to think about this because just a little more than a month previous, what was Peter busy doing? Denying Jesus, hiding, running in fear. But you see, this is the difference that the Holy Spirit makes in a person's life. Peter and John were now new creations. They were not the same people they were before because the Holy Spirit had come upon them. And they were now bold. They were now excited for God in a way that they weren't when Jesus was walking with them. Think of that. Jesus right beside them teaching them and they still couldn't find the courage when Jesus was right there that they had when they were now, quote, alone without Jesus by their side as they're being interrogated. What was the difference? The difference is the Holy Spirit. And this is what we have to ask ourselves 
in being a witness is what's in your heart. You see, Peter and John right here, they were filled with the Spirit. It, it tells us that. But what was in their heart was they were excited for God. I mean, they knew the mission that they had before them, that, that Jesus had told them, go make disciples of all nations, and they are about the work of their master now, and they're excited to do it. This isn't just a responsibility to them. This is like a privilege. I get to tell people about Jesus. You think, Peter, I get to preach about the risen Savior in a way that nobody else is right now. And what happened? 3,000 3, people got saved. Now, at this instance, 2,000 people got saved. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd get spoiled as a preacher if that kind of, you know, stuff kept happening every week. I'd start to expect it. You know, why, why isn't everybody responding? Come on. <laughs> but here's the truth. We speak about what we love. We seek to share and build community around what we love. And in this story, we see a clash between those with evil in their hearts and those with the Spirit of God in their hearts. And it's so obvious the. The, the guys in suits, as I said, they're the ones that come down and they're like, oh, whoa, whoa, hold on a second. Wait a minute. We don't like this. Now, why would they not like it? Because they're like, hey, just a month ago, we were getting rid of this guy, Jesus. Why are you still talking about him? We thought we took care of this. And then his body disappeared and the tomb was empty and people were talking about we. Why can't we stop this? And now there's a miracle and they really, it says they're greatly annoyed. As you've heard me say, sometimes I think the Bible has propensity for understatement. Greatly annoyed, these guys are about to come unglued. Their power was challenged by Jesus, and they were willing to go to the point of murdering him to get rid of him. And now it's, it's just still going. And they're starting to realize their powerlessness to stop it. And, and they are freaking out about this. But... They wanted to hold on to their position so much that they're like, okay, a miracle's happened. We can't deny that, but we've got to stop it. And what is in their heart is coming out. Have you ever thought, I mean, I do, I, I read this and I realize there are, there are two types of people in this world and that's it. There are those that will see a miracle of God and, and give God the glory and there are those that will see it and say, I don't care. And that's, that's it. They're either those that acknowledge God or they won't. And these people are saying, yeah, we see the miracle. Yeah, we see this guy walking around. We see that God did something. We don't care. Stop talking about it. We can't let this spread anywhere because they know they will lose power and control. And so they are opposed to it. And what is in their heart is coming out. And yet there are another 2,000 people that are like, we just saw God do something, and I knew Jesus, and I saw him there, and now he's gone, and you say he's risen, and I see these miracles happening. Yeah, I'm in. And we're up to 5,000 men, not including women and other people, so the church is growing like crazy in Jerusalem at this moment. And we're just days after the Holy Spirit has come, and look how quickly he's working. And so what was in their heart was starting to come out given the situation. There are those that wanted to see the things of God and those that didn't. You see, Jesus talked about it like this. In Luke 6, 45, he says, The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. We will speak about that which we love. There's no getting away from it. What is inside of us 
will ultimately come out. And so we have to ask, what is it that is stored up within us? Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. What we store in our heart is what's going to come out. Is it filled with the things of God and the things of God want to come out in our lives? Is it filled with something else? Now, don't, don't go to a place of perfection. We, we all will fail in regards to this, but there is a consistency that should be noted. What consistently comes out of our lives, out of our mouths? What is it that we want to speak about? Does God and his kingdom and the good news of Jesus Christ make the cut as something that is so stored up in your heart that it bubbles out? Is that something that is genuinely in a place in your heart that you're excited about? Or does it feel more like a responsibility that we're trying to force and we just go through the motions week after week because that's what I'm supposed to do? Now, here's the truth. There are going to be those weeks as a Christian where you go through the motions because it's what you're supposed to do. And you know what? That's okay. It's better than not doing it. Okay, I want to let you off the hook here. I want you to feel a sigh of relief. Because we're not going to be on top of the world, on the mountaintop, and we, we don't need to expect that. There are going to be valleys. There are going to be those times when God isn't going to speak and we're not going to feel his presence. We need to worship anyway. We do need to go through the motions and make ourselves connect with God in those moments so that when he does move, we've stored up the things in our God in the valley so that when God wants to take us to the mountaintop, he gets the glory. He knows about, you know, we acknowledge him and we're grateful for what he has done, but not thinking that, oh, this is something I've done, that he gets the glory. You see, this moment right here in this story is important because these people that are getting saved, these are the same people that just, you know, 50 plus days earlier were shouting crucify him. The same people in Jerusalem. What changed? The Holy Spirit came into the world. Jesus was resurrected. Reality as we know it changed. And suddenly people that were shouting crucify him are believing in his name and being saved. That's called repentance. That's called life change. And God allows that and wants that in our lives. And so maybe you weren't excited about God before, but you can still get there. And God will do that in your life if we are willing to listen. And so Peter, what was inside of him, came out. He heals this man through the power of the Spirit. And then people are like, hey, what's going on? And he just stands up and he says, this is Jesus, whom you crucified. Why? Why would he say whom you crucified? Because these are the people that did. Right there in Jerusalem, it's the same crowd shouting crucify him. And then he says it to the high priest himself, whom you crucified. But you know what wasn't in Peter's heart? Bitterness and anger. Would it have been easy for him to be bitter and angry at Caiaphas, the high priest? Oh, absolutely. Caiaphas held an illegal trial, had an illegal execution. He murdered Jesus to maintain political power. That's enough for a person to be like, I don't like you. You are a corrupt religious and political leader. We don't know anything about that today, right? 
I mean, we've outgrown that stuff. <laughs> I could hear y'all's eyes rolling. <laughs> no, it, it, human, humanity is humanity, and it always has been. And Peter could have, I mean, he could have in this moment just been like, Buddy, God has a special corner in a dark place for you for all the time. I mean, he could have gone after Caiaphas and just railed on him and not been wrong. But what was in his heart? The gospel. He says, oh, no, it's by Jesus Christ whom you crucified. God raised him up from the dead. Think about that. In a moment of stress, he's been arrested He's being interrogated, and what does he do? He preaches the gospel. He's like, oh, no, this is what this is about. And he, you can get a sense he's doing it joyfully. Like, they're happy. They're like, hey, we're, Jesus is alive, man. I know you killed him, but joke's on you. He's alive. God raised him up, and he is now the cornerstone that you builders rejected. And, and so... How did this happen? Because God, he was filled with the good things of God in his life. And it didn't take long. Remember, just a little more than a month before, he was denying Jesus. What was filling his heart then? Fear, anger, bitterness, all of that. And he swore. He's like, I don't know him. Get away from me. I don't know who this man is. Jesus restores him. He receives the spirit. And now the things of God are what are coming out. So how do we take that kind of thinking and make it our own? How do we move forward in that? Well, one, we have to be prepared to do that. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by accident. We are not witnesses to Jesus by accident, okay? There are times we may unintentionally not realize we're, we're witnessing to Jesus because somebody's watching us and we don't know they're watching us and they see our lives and they hear our words and they're like, hey, you, you're representing Jesus well. But guess what? What was coming out is still intentional. We just didn't know we were being watched. But we have to be prepared. You see, being an effective servant witness means that we are prepared mentally to both serve and to witness to Jesus. Now, Peter himself puts it this way in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. That means believe him as the Savior, acknowledge he is Lord, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect. Now, what did Peter command? He said, be prepared to answer the questions when people ask you about God. Be prepared for it. Preparation means advanced effort. That means prior effort to, you know, before the event comes. That means we store up the things of God in our life and we study his word and we know it. We become that student of scripture so that when we are asked to speak on the things of God, we have something to say. Now, Jesus also says, in that moment, don't worry about what you're going to say. I'll bring it. The Holy Spirit will, will bring it to mind. And it even says that here, that Peter being full of the Holy Spirit. So what happens? This is that moment I say we cooperate with grace. If we store up the good things of God within us, then we've created an opportunity for God to use us as servant witnesses so that when we get in the situation, he says, now I'm going to draw the words out of you. You don't have to worry about getting it wrong. I will draw the words out of you and give you what to say so that you can witness to me. 
I've talked to a lot of Christians in my life that are like, I just, I don't know why God won't use me. And then we start asking, well, do you spend time in the Word? Well, not really. Do you worship regularly? Are you in the presence of God? Well, do you fellowship? No. Do you even know a lost person? Eh. Are you creating opportunities for God to use you? <laughs> are you actively trying to do this? And they're like, okay, so I, I guess I have to, yeah, yeah, you have responsibilities here. You have things that you have to do to prepare yourself to be used by God as a witness. And we have to be prepared. Now, compare again when Jesus says, honor Christ as Lord, be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Compare that again to Peter's response, uh, Okay says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Was that gentle? Was that respectful? Was it truthful? Absolutely. He doesn't shy away at all from the gospel. He speaks the truth. He talks about Jesus' crucifixion, his resurrection, the power of the Holy Spirit now, and what it means that there is no salvation found anywhere else. Peter was prepared. I think he knew he was eventually going to have this confrontation with the high priest. If they came after Jesus, they're going to come after him, right? And he was prepared. He knew exactly what he was going to say when that moment came. And when it came, the Holy Spirit enabled that within him to say it as it needed to be said. He was absolutely prepared to do this. See, he wasn't belligerent. He didn't pick fights. He wasn't disrespectful, but he was truthful and he was bold. And too many Christians today in this world want to confuse boldness with belligerence. And there is a world of difference in those things. I've met too many, too many people that they want to witness to God, and they do, but they go this very combative route about doing it. You know, that, that the whole, everybody's wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and you're wrong, and, and, and just... It's almost like they're angry about it. And I'm like, you know what? You love God so much, you're angry. I don't get it. Peter's not angry here. He's joyful. And yet he's bold. He doesn't pull any punches. He is willing to talk about Jesus. He is willing to share what's in his heart. He's willing to be bold about it. And this is why being a student of Scripture and having a healthy prayer life are necessary steps in order to be prepared to be a servant witness. See, this is why, as I talk, these are benchmarks in the Christian life that we all have to, we have to reach. We must become a worshiper. We have to. If we're not worshiping God, we're not going to do anything else. Worship is foundational. We must worship, accept Jesus Christ as Lord, and worship him. That's what Peter meant when he said, but honor the Lord Jesus as holy. We must worship then we must become a student of Scripture and prayer. We have to learn the truth. We've got to fill our lives with it. And if we do that, then we open the door to be able to become a servant witness. 
And we have to take that step as well and start to take the truth into the world around us. We all need to be like Peter right here and be able to share the gospel with others. And so I want to ask you today, can you do that? One, are you able? Are you able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ? Can you do it with gentleness and respect? Can you talk to people in such a way that you're kind, you're loving, you're gentle, and yet bold, and be able to tell them, look, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and he was raised again on the third day, and salvation is by him. Now, people are going to be like, well, what's salvation? What? Well, the wages of sin is death, and we all have sinned. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. Oh, we don't rank how bad people are. Do you know the Ten Commandments? Do not lie, do not steal. Have you ever done, broken any of those? Well, yeah. That's what we're judged on. That's what God is going to judge us on is whether or not we broke his law. Have you broken his law? Yes, then you need salvation. It's that simple. The gospel is not complex. What we do is we make it complex out of fear, out of pride. We've got to get out of our own way in order to share it. And so... Here's the good news in this. The Holy Spirit will help us do that. If we position ourselves in obedience to God, I will do what God tells me to do. I will worship. I will become a student of Scripture and prayer. I will become a servant witness. And I will actively involve myself in those things and walk through it. If I do that, I trust the Holy Spirit is going to help me as I move forward. You see, God doesn't leave us to do these things on our own. But we must cooperate with him in doing it. And we can't give in to fear. We can't give in to pride. We can't give in to laziness. We, we can't give in to anything. This has to be a part of who we are. And, and listen, I don't know how this happened, and I don't know when, and I kind of don't care. But somewhere along the line, churches... In America, in American culture, we lost our sense of mission. And I mean that. We lost our sense of mission. We want to love God and we want to serve Him and we want to see our churches healthy, but we forgot what that meant. The largest contingent of a healthy church is that we're reaching the lost with the gospel. We're seeing lives transformed. I want, in my heart, I want to see that baptistry full every week. And I mean that. I have, I have desperately in my life as, as a pastor, I have intentionally skipped out on the easy ways to grow a church by making it, a, you know, attractional and entertainment and, and all of that stuff. I have intentionally done that and I've paid a price for it in that no church I've served has super grown because that's in our culture, that's how you grow a church right now is you go really attractional and make it all about consumerism and make it entertaining and, you know, have everything, the flashing lights and all that stuff, and you just go that route and people will come. And you know why? Because I want to see a church grow through the gospel. I want to see a church grow through baptisms and lives being transformed. And I refuse to go down that other road just to say, oh, yeah, we grew a church. No, you grew an organization. The church is the body of Christ, and it is those who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. But here's the hard truth on that. I can't do that. 
It takes the church to do that. And somewhere along the line, we handed over the work of the ministry to the professionals and decided it was the pastor's job. And I'm not pointing fingers at anybody in here, but somewhere along the line in our culture, we did. We handed it over to professionals. We're like, you go get them saved. And it became the pastor's job to go witness to everybody in the community. When biblically speaking, my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. We all have a calling to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means all of us need to be able to share the good news with people who don't believe it. We all have a responsibility to do that. And I have tried everywhere I've been. You can can talk to my wife about this if you want confirmation. I have run into a brick wall at every church, every ministry I've been in when I get to this point. Because it becomes your choice of whether or not you're going to do it. And let me tell you something. Satan doesn't want this to happen. Okay? Every time, I, I wait for it. Honestly, I laughed this morning when the alarm went off. Y'all know that? You know why? Because I knew I was preaching this sermon. And I thought, well, of course. It'll probably go off again during the service. Because what I'm about to challenge you to do, every time I have done this in a church, this is when it gets real. And yet here I am doing it again because I believe the gospel. Because I will stand before God one day as a pastor and I am not going to say, well, I entertained your kids. I'm going to say I tried to lead them to the gospel and I tried to get them to share the gospel. And I gave everything I had to try to do that. And I got a lot more to give, folks. We'll just get used to it. So we must make the choice that the mission of God and sharing the gospel is important. We have to make the choice. Each one of you has to make the choice that my life is about sharing and is about the mission that God has put in front of us. Because like I said, one day we will all stand in judgment and what's going to matter? What's going to matter? He's going to, we're going to stand before him. And and as I've read before, he said, each one of our work will be tested. And it says, you'll be saved, although, you know, some by fire. What did we build on the foundation of grace that that we've been given, the foundation of the gospel? What did we build on it? You know, was it through precious, precious stones and gold and silver? Was it wood, hay and stubble? What did we build? And God is going to reveal that. And I want to stand before God and say, I built on the gospel with stuff that mattered. I led people to Jesus because that's what mattered. And let me, let me give you a little hint, uh, just a, a secret. You know how they always talk about, well, you can't take it with you, right? You know, when you die, you can't take it with you. You know there's a loophole to that? There really is. There's a loophole to that. You know what the loophole is? All the souls you led to Jesus, they're going with you. All the souls you influence to Jesus. Now, again, the Holy Spirit, we cooperate. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. But we can be a servant witness and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do what he does when people preach the gospel. 
It's worked for 2,000 years. It will work now. It will work in our culture. It worked in the pagan Roman Empire. It will work today. We preach the gospel. We share the gospel. We serve people. And we say the same thing that Peter did. Gold and silver, I don't have, but what I do have, I will give to you. Do you know Jesus? And we can share just like he did. But we have to make the choice. Will we face opposition? Yes. Will we stir up spiritual opposition? Yes. But you know what we'll also have? The Holy Spirit on our side. You know what we'll also have? People that will listen. I don't care for every four that don't listen. If there's one that does, I want the one. And I don't want to miss the one. Because that's what he's called us as the body of Christ to do is to take light into darkness. That is our job. And so, Peter and John themselves, they had a choice to make. Okay, listen to this. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, that is important. They were uneducated common men. God uses everyone. They were astonished. And then listen to this. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. I mean, they're, they're stuck. We can't deny what God is doing right here. This has happened. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, they have a choice to make. What choice do they make? I love their response. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we've seen and heard. And church, 2,000 years later, that should be our response too. We should have that same fervor, that same fire in our heart that I can't help but speak about Jesus because what I have seen and heard in my life is worthy of being praised, of worthy of being announced to the world. It is worthy to be shared. So go ahead, oppose it if you want. I'm not stopping. I'm not going to quit. You see, Jesus has transformed both Peter and John. And now, even with being threatened after being arrested, they are so excited about salvation and about God and about the kingdom of God that they say, we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. The mission of God is their primary mission in life, and it must be ours as well. And so today, I'm calling for each person to commit themselves to outreach in this church. You get real work here. You don't get to just agree with this sermon and say amen and then go on and forget about it. Okay, you have homework. If you grabbed one of these cards when you came in, if you don't have one, they are by the, uh, the back there. You can get one on the way out. But I am calling this our 4x4 four four outreach program here. It's how we want to do it. This is not a, just a program that's going to come and go. We're not trying this. I want this to become a part of the DNA of our church. 
that we understand that we always have a responsibility to be aware of and active in outreach in our community. That doesn't mean that we have to you know, shout from the corner every week and every person we talk to has to become a, a target of evangelism. It means that we are aware that God is calling us to do this. And how this works then is a four-step process. And that's why we're doing these cards, so that you can carry them with you. And it will be a reminder, but it's also to help you see the opportunities. Because step one is identify four people in your life that are not going to church anywhere. We're not wanting to steal from other churches. Okay, If they're engaged somewhere else, pray for them, let them go. We want to engage those who are not going to church, who are not saved. And try to identify four people. They could be family, they could be neighbors, they could be co-workers. It's whatever God lays on your heart here. But identify four people on the back of the card, you write their names down. If you start and you can only think of two, write down two. If there's one, there better be one. I'm not going to let you off the hook for that. Write it down. Okay, if we are genuine about this, God will provide the four, I promise. But you write it down. Step one is identify four people. Write it down on your card. Step two is intercede for them. That is prayer. That is real prayer. That you start praying for their spirit. You start praying for their life. You start praying for the truth to to present itself. And you start praying that God would open a door for you to serve them because we are servant witnesses. And you start praying that God would open that door where you could serve them. And then when that door does open for them, That is step three, is invest in them. That is service. That is build a relationship with them. Let them know you care. Build trust with them. This takes time. This is not an easy, quick, you know, evangelism thing where, oh, we'll do this and then we've tried it. No, this is a lifestyle of evangelism right here that we have to engage in and we'll get better at it. Trust me, we'll fall flat several times doing this. But if we are serious about it, God will bless it. And we will see successes. We will see people come to know Jesus. And so you invest in them, and then after you've invested and you've built that relationship, then you invite them to church. Then you invite them to your small group. You invite them to a barbecue at your house in which church members are going to be there so that you can build further relationships so that when they do come to church, they come in and they know people. Hey, I know this person. I know them. They're, hey, these are nice folks. And, you know, I realize Pleasant Hill's a little bit smaller, but, you know, we got 9,000 people in this, in this town. How many we got in here today? 100? We got room. There are lots of people out there we don't know that God may lead us to invest in and open the door. But this is one of those moments, I'm going to cash in whatever credibility I have gotten with you to say, we need to do this, okay? I'm asking you to join me in this. I've tried this many times before. Most responses I get from churches is this, oh, okay. And I'm not kidding. I'm not trying to make you feel sorry or anything. That is the normal response from Christians today. Don't be normal, okay? Be weird. Do it. Because this type of evangelism is real. This is organic. This is God will use the gifts that he's given you. So 
your four is going to look different from another person's four. Your service is going to look different from another person's service because God is going to use, as we talked about last week, the gifts that he has given you. So we're not comparing to each other. This is your circle, your influence, your gifts, your ministry. This is your ministry in this world. And I need you all to think about it like that. This is your ministry. And God wants to bless it and God will bless it. But we have to cooperate with him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the day you've given us. And God, I pray, Lord, that you would give life to our outreach efforts, God. That you would make us bold that you would empower us, God, that we would recognize the gifts you've given us where we are able to do this. God, we know we have to deny ourselves. We have to overcome the flesh in order to do this. I pray you make it. Just show us how to do that. God, we pray that you put those opportunities in our life, the people that we can love, that we can invest in, genuinely invest, God, not looking for return, but to serve so that we can share you with them. God, I pray that you keep the enemy at bay. God, that you put up a a wall of protection. God, I know he doesn't like it when churches start doing this. And he does all kinds of things to stop it. God, I pray that you wouldn't let him this time. God, that you would would enable us to, to engage in this ministry from the heart level be excited for you that we would say like Peter and John we cannot but speak of the things we've seen and heard God light that fire in our hearts the fire for your kingdom God it's in Jesus holy name we pray together amen